to take your Bibles this morning and join me in turning to the New Testament Gospel of John. John chapter 1 is where we'll be for our study today, John chapter 1. And we're winding down a series of messages that deal with our approach to life. And we've cloaked our study in a two-word title, and we've called this study, Bring It. Bring It. Now, we've identified what's found in that, that name, Bring It, is is a life that, that has the right attitude and the attributes and the actions that lives by an aggressive faith that, that goes for it, okay? We began our study by looking to the life of an Old Testament man by the name of Caleb, and Caleb was a man who brought it in life. Caleb, as a young man, was bringing it, and the Bible says as an old man, he was still after it, wanting to make the most of every opportunity he had. And so we found in him a case study of what it would look like if we brought it in life. And in the course of our study, we discovered the value of bringing a good, well-thought-out plan for life. We saw the value in bringing the scriptures, and, and we talked over the weeks about bringing the important relationships along in life, marriage and, and parenting, and, and we talked recently even about bringing our financial stewardship along. And, and as we come to the end of, of our study on Bring It, you might have noticed that if you looked at the calendar and listened to what we were studying at any given time, that there was a correlation. For example, as we took a look at the value of bringing the right kind of plan in life, the new year was still very fresh, still very relevant. When we were talking about relationships and family, we were in that, that, uh, uh, that corridor sur surrounding the, the holiday on February 14th, Valentine's Day. And, and we've sought to be uh, on time and on target. Our emphasis on stewardship, of course, surrounding our special offering as a church. And today we're going to conclude this series of messages by considering the value of bringing it in terms of bringing people to Jesus Christ. Now you might say, well, how does that fit into the calendar? And, uh, I hope you're not shocked to be reminded that next Sunday is Friend Day at Coastline Baptist Church. And I believe that's an important day, and I believe it's a valuable day, and I think it's important for us to understand the, the value of bringing people to Christ. Uh, we had a great day yesterday of outreach into the community, and, and uh, we're glad for that. And we're going to have this week about 40,000 invitations that will arrive by way of mail, in addition to those we're giving to people. But the most important invitation we can make is that personal invitation to a friend or a family member or a neighbor or a co-worker, and, and I believe God can use you. We're going to learn about a disciple of Jesus Christ today. All of the disciples of Christ, the followers of Christ, were interested in bringing people to Him. But there was one that really stands above the rest in His example for us. In fact, every time we find Him in the Bible, He's bringing somebody to Jesus. First thing He did when He came to know who Christ was, was He brought His brother. He was the one that brought the boy with the fish and the loaves when Jesus fed the 5,000. On another occasion, there were some men kind of surmising, wondering about Jesus. And this, this man, by the name of Andrew, basically said, well, come on, let me introduce you to him, you know. He took them. He, he was someone that was on the lookout for people that needed to meet Christ. And, and God used him in a great way. And He's got a lot of wonderful lessons for us to get a hold of today. And so if you're able, I'd like to invite you and join me in standing as we look to God's Word together. John chapter 1 is where we'll be, and we'll be reading the Word of God. And uh, had a little bit of a frog in my throat today, which isn't a problem, but sometimes he crosses his legs, you know. And, and uh, so I'm trying to drown him a little today. I hope I don't bother you too much, but we'll get through it. John chapter 1 is where we're going to be, and, and uh, 
Beginning in verse 40, the Bible says this, One of the two which heard John speak and followed him was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. He, Andrew, first findeth his own brother Simon, and saith unto him, We have found the Messiah, which is, being interpreted, the Christ. Now I'm going to read on. Uh, One thing I love about John's gospel is the audience was diverse. It was targeted to the world. For example, in John's gospel in chapter 3, verse 16, we read, For God so loved the world. It was was really uh, uh, addressed to, to everybody. And for that reason, John many times would explain something or put a little something extra in so we could understand Uh, Andrew was a Jewish man. His brother obviously was Jewish. Jesus was Jewish. But it's interesting to me that as we see what's happening here, in verse 41, Andrew told his brother, he said, we found the Messiah. And then he goes on to say this, which is being interpreted. In other words, let me help you out here and tell you what that means, the Christ. Being Jewish men, they would have known from reading the Old Testament scriptures that God had promised to to come again. And, And the title for that one was the Messiah. We call Jesus, Jesus Christ, the word Christos. It's the same word in in the Greek language. And and so there was an understanding in the hearts of these men that God himself would come and would meet their need. And, And that's what is mentioned here. As we go on, we can look to verse 42. And he brought him to Jesus. And when Jesus beheld him, he said, Thou art Simon, the son of Jonah. Thou shalt be called Cephas, and here goes John again explaining, which is by interpretation, a stone. Now, I want us to think of this text together today, and I want you, if you would, to go to the beginning of verse 42. Here's the expression. He brought him to Jesus. Bring it. Bring it. And I think Andrew would say, bring him to Jesus. And I want us to think of this today. And I know this. We all have the capacity to be helped through this. So let's give our hearts to it, all right? Our Father, thank you today that when we study your word, it is true. And I pray that you would help us today to be sensitive to your leading. Uh, Use our church family, Lord, to help people, encourage people. We love you. Be pleased in this time of study, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. The ministry of Jesus Christ had just begun, and he was announced to the world by a man by the name of John the Baptist. John the Baptist was the cousin to Jesus Christ. As John introduced him to the world, the Bible reveals to us that John then baptized Jesus, and Jesus then began the process of calling his core team, his disciples, unto himself, and he invited them to follow him with their lives One of the men that was a follower of John the Baptist who was introduced to Jesus Christ was a man that we met in our text by the name of Andrew. Andrew uh, was uh, apparently someone that kind of had that outgoing personality. We might say he had the gift of gab. and We know he was a fisherman by trade living in a town called Capernaum beside a sea called the Sea of Galilee. Yet when he met Jesus Christ, everything changed for him. Life could not possibly be the same anymore, and we find that he forsook that life, which God isn't calling everyone to do, but for Andrew, he left the life as a fisherman to pursue Jesus Christ and and to serve him. As his journey unfolds, we find some elements in this passage that I believe can encourage us as we seek to know Christ and as we seek to make Christ 
known. And we find these truths in this text that, that can help us every day, but as we make our way to Friend Day, I do hope as a, as a church family we can dial in on these truths and, and make them relevant to our lives this week. As we look to this text, the first element that emerges to the surface is this matter of, of a realization. We find here the realization. Now, the verses leading up to the text that we chose for today is, is an important section of Scripture. And I'm going to ask you, if you would, to go back a few verses to verse 35. John chapter 1 and verse 35. The Bible says here, again, the next day after John stood and two of his disciples, and looking upon Jesus as he walked, he saith, Behold the Lamb of God. And the two disciples heard him speak, and they followed Jesus So we have John the Baptist, he sees Jesus Christ, he looks at Jesus and he says this, Behold the Lamb of God. And as John the Baptist introduced Jesus as the Lamb of God, that was enough for these men who were followers of John the Baptist to say, no longer will we follow John the Baptist, now we're going to follow Jesus who is the Lamb of God. Now if we were to hear that expression today, it would sound peculiar and strange, but again, these men, being Jewish men and familiar with the traditions of Judaism and familiar with, with the process that took place at the temple, understood that in that setting, the mention of a lamb would take their minds to that point in time when a lamb would come and would be sacrificed and the blood would be spilt in the temple for a covering for their sins. But when John the Baptist introduced Jesus as the Lamb of God, they realized that this was going to change some things. Hebrews 9 and verse 22 lets us know that without the shedding of blood, there's no remission. There is no covering for sin. But the the best a little lamb could do was provide a covering. But if God himself became our lamb, it would change everything. The Bible in Hebrews 9.26 says this, For then must he uh, often have suffered since the foundation of the world, but now once in the end of the world hath he appeared to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. You see, as God opened Andrew's eyes and let him see this truth, it changed everything for him. I think he began to understand the love of God a little bit more, and, 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 and it led to a change in the way he, he viewed his life. He, he found a reason to share the Lord with others. You can sense that his worldview was shifting, and his hopes were changing, and his dreams were shifting to come into alignment with what he believed. Now, I don't know who here today has truly accepted Jesus Christ as their Savior. I, I don't know that. But I do know this, those of you here today that truly have a relationship with God through faith in Jesus Christ, here's what I do know, and I want you to hear me. If you are here today and you are truly a believer, you know you are truly a believer. You know it. You see, the Bible in 1 John 5.13 tells us of itself that it was written that we can know that we have eternal life. God doesn't want any of us to go through life just wondering and hoping and surmising and wishing. He wants us to have an abiding confidence that serves as a good foundation from which to to do life the right way. Now, you could write volumes about what I don't know. Let me tell you what I do know. I know that I am a sinner. 
And I do know that God is perfect. God is holy. And I know that if God were to allow me into his presence to have a relationship with him as the sinner that I am, I would ruin everything because God's presence would no longer be perfect if I were there because I'm imperfect. I'm a sinner. And I know that God in his love became a man and was born of a virgin. And I know that he lived a sinless life. And I know that he was crucified on the cross of Calvary. And I know that he was buried in a borrowed tomb. He borrowed it. He only needed it a few days. And I know that Jesus Christ, God the Son, rose again on the third day to validate that all he said indeed is true. And I know that through faith in him, I was born again into the family of God. I've been saved. I know that. You see, I used to wonder where I stood with God. I used to imagine in my mind's eye, and this may sound silly to some, but others may identify. I used to imagine in my mind's eye something similar to a giant set of scales. And all my bad stuff was on one side. And my good stuff was on the other. And and I was just hoping that when my time came, that there'd be enough good to kind of keep me balanced out where I'd be okay with God. And, and I, I've come to understand that it is not by works of righteousness which we have done. It's by His mercy that He saves us by the washing of regeneration. God never intended for us to go through life wondering and hoping. No. When you realize who Jesus is and what He's done for you, it changes, it changes everything. We see the realization here, but I find also of necessity, a response. Andrew realizes who Jesus is, but that brings this response into his life. And the Bible says in verse 41 of John 1 that he first findeth his own brother. You see, while he realized how great Jesus is, he wanted others, especially those he cared the most about, to know who Jesus is. He first findeth his own brother. And it's interesting to me as we think about this, the Bible says he found his brother, and that word find there means to search for diligently. He said, this is important enough for me to alter my schedule today and to go out of my way. And where is my brother anyhow? i got to go find him because... I now realize who Jesus is, and in response to what I've learned about Jesus, I want this person that I love to know who Jesus is as well. So he went out of his way to find his brother. As I thought about that, I went to a time when Jesus was teaching. Jesus loved to tell stories in his teaching. The greatest teacher and preacher the world has ever known is Jesus Christ, and he loved to tell stories because most people like to hear stories. He told a story one time of a lord, a ruler, who wanted to have a, a get-together, a party for his friends. And so he told his servants to go out and invite them. And his, his servants went out and they invited him in. And the first guy said, you know, I just got some land. I need to go look at this land. I'm not going to be able to come. And they went to the next one. And that guy said, you know, I just got some oxen. I really need to check those, those out and so I won't be there. And the third one said, I just got married and my wife won't, won't let me come. You know, he was probably the only honest one in the group. You know, my wife won't let me. And, and uh, so the servants came back and they told the Lord, hey, none of your friends can come to this, you know. And so the Lord told them, here's what I want you to do. I want you to invite everybody. I want you to go out there. In fact, in Luke 14, 23, as Jesus is telling the story, he said, the Lord said unto the servant, go out into the highways and hedges and compel them to come in that my house may be filled. You see, God likes a full house. 
And God says, what I have happening in my house is of such value and such importance that those that are inside of my house should get a little bit excited about telling those that are outside of the house, hey, you need to get in here, it's good. You see, responding to God's love for you by sharing, with, uh, sharing it with others seems like a perfectly rational response to me. In fact, I'd imagine if we really believe that God loved everybody and it provided for everyone to know Him and to have eternal salvation, if we really believed that and didn't tell anybody about it, I think that would demonstrate that there was a real misunderstanding somewhere in our faith system. A disconnect. You see, it just makes perfect sense if we understand who the Lord is and what He's done for us, that our response to that realization would be, man, i got to find these people in my life that I love and, and those around me. One time, years before Jesus was born, the Jews were under attack. They were hiding behind the walls of their city. They were what the Bible calls besieged by the Syrians. Besieged basically means to cut off the, the food line and the water and all the rest and just kind of wait them out, choke them out. And so they're behind the walls and they're now starving. It was just as tough a time as they had ever had. And the Syrians are outside. And the Bible tells us about these men, these poor men, and they, they, they get to thinking, Jewish men, you know what, we're going to die one way or another. We're either going to starve to death or the Syrians are going to kill us. And, and so they thought, you know, we ought to just maybe go over there and see if, if we can get some food from them. And, and the Bible tells us of an occasion where these guys walk into the Syrians' camp God had been working in a miraculous way. The Syrians abandoned uh, their camp, left all their food behind. And so here's these poor sick guys, and they're in there just pigging out, pigging out, okay? Starving. And they walk in, and here's all this food. The Syrians had just abandoned their camp. They left all their food, and they're just pigging out and pigging out and pigging out. And, and it kind of dawns on them at some point, you know, there's some people over on the other side of that wall they're hungry. The Bible tells us in 2 Kings 7, 9, that they said one to another, we do not well, this is, this is a day of good tidings, and we hold our peace. If we tarry till the morning light, some mischief will come upon us. Now, therefore, come that we may go and tell the king's household. Do you know what they were saying? They said, man, this is good where we are. We're being strengthened, we're being nourished, we're being helped, we're being tended to. And there are those that don't have the benefit of what we have in here. They said this is a day of good tidings, and that's the same word we would use to speak of the gospel, the good news. And I would say today to the Coastline family, we're blessed Now, I would imagine it's your testimony, most of you keep coming back, that you're helped here in one way or another, that you're ministered to, that, that something happens in your spirit as, as you hear the songs and as you participate in the singing and as we open the word, I would imagine that, that somebody's being ministered to at some level. Again, we, we continue to come back. And, and I would say this, we're living in the midst of a world where we're coming together and we're being nourished and we're being fed and we're being strengthened and we're being helped, encouraged along the way, but we need to come in inside of these walls and say, you know, there are those outside of these walls who spiritually are, are starving. And it wouldn't make any sense at all for us to come in here and just feast away without saying, you know, this, this is probably not good for us to keep news like this to ourselves. 
They were saying we've been blessed and it wouldn't be right to keep something like this to ourselves. You see, that's how Andrew felt. He met Jesus, God the Son, and he responded by saying, man, my brother needs to meet Jesus. He needs to know Jesus too. What a great response to coming to know the Lord. But that response reveals another element in our study today. We find here the responsibility. The responsibility. Verse 42 is so key. The Bible says we, uh, that, that he first findeth his own brother. But this verse begins by saying this. He brought him to Jesus. Folks, look here. It's one thing to tell people what it is they need to do and where it is they need to go. It's another thing altogether to say, oh, come on, go with me. I'll bring you. I'll bring you. It makes all the difference in the world how our heart is in relationship to this. A couple years ago, Lisa and I went on a biblical history tour of Israel, and we spent the last three days in Rome, and we saw where the Apostle Paul spent time in prison, and it was an amazing, amazing time for us. In Israel, literally, with our tour group, a guide traveled with us. And in Rome, it wasn't that way. Uh, you'd go some places on your own. Sometimes you'd go to a place, and they'd have a, a tour guide there. And, and so much of the time in Rome, there was no tour guide, which meant, you know, here I am in a hotel lobby in, in Italy, and there's Italians there. And they speak Italy speak, okay? <laughs> so here I am holding up a map going, how, how get here, you know, and, uh, and, and they're, you know, they're Italians, and so, you know, the hands are going, and, you know, you know, go down to do, you know, and I'm listening, and I'm not getting it, you know, he passed at a big church, and I'm like, there's a big church everywhere, it's Rome, and, and uh, they'd kind of talk, and I'd kind of listen, they'd stop talking, which meant it was time for me to get moving, and we had a great time in Rome, but we spent about 85% of the time with no idea where we were, okay, just lost. Where do we get the idea as Christians that we can just stand and wave our arms and speak Christianese and tell people what's wrong with them and what they need to do? We've, we've got a lot of travel agents in Christianity who just want to tell everyone where they should go and how they should get there. We need more tour guides in Christianity who will say, hey, listen, come on. I'll go with you. Let me bring you. Let me help you. Listen, that's what Friend Day is all about. It, it, it's people saying, I believe Jesus is worth my life looking different than it did before I knew him. And I want other people to know him too, so I want to bring people. Oh, listen, friends. You get the idea that Andrew in the first century church really felt a responsibility and you get the appearance from Scripture that they believe the words of Christ when he in Mark 16, 15 said, go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. As we make application of where we are as a church family, I want to challenge every one of you today to invite someone to church for Friend Day so they can hear the gospel. Now, I don't think anyone in here is cynical today, but, but a cynic could say, wait a minute, you're saying bring them to Jesus, now you're telling people to bring them to church. This church isn't Jesus, you know. And to that I would say, I know. Thank you, you cynical guy, you, okay? <laughs> but we're the body of Christ. No, we don't have a God complex. We're all pretty aware that we're highly imperfect, okay? But we're the body of Christ. 
And we're to share the love of Christ. And when people come here, they should have an opportunity to meet Jesus. And I'm going to tell you what I'm going to do my very best to do next week. I'm going to do my very best to come to this sacred desk, having spent time with God, having spent time in prayer, having studied and opening the Bible and doing my best to become totally irrelevant in the whole process so that Jesus Christ can be exalted and others can see him. You see, it is all about the Lord. We have enough travel agents. Why don't some of you be a tour guide for somebody this week and bring them next week? You see the responsibility. But we see something else in this text that, to be honest with you, when I saw it, it struck my heart, it ministered to me, and I thought, but it has nothing to do with the message I'm bringing today. And the more I thought on it, it has everything to do with the message I'm bringing today. Because as we come to the conclusion of our study, we're going to see this final thought, which is the relationship. The end of this verse really spoke to my heart. I hope it does to yours. As Peter came to to Christ, a relationship was started. God was the prime mover. God was the instigator in it all. We can only love Jesus because he first loved us. We understand God works in it all, and that's how it was for Peter. And Jesus comes to Peter, and he says, Thou art Simon, Simon Peter, thou art Simon, the son of Jonah. And I say, all right, Pastor, tell me, how in the world could that bless anybody? I don't know what you say when you meet people. Typically, I'll say, it's nice to meet you, something like that, okay? We extend social graces. It's nice to meet you. When Jesus met Peter, his opening words were, you're Peter, and your dad's name is Jonah. We so often speak of people coming to know Jesus, and Jesus tells Peter, I already know you. Already, isn't that great that we serve a God that knows who we are, knows where we come from? He knows what we're up to. To Jeremiah, the Lord said in Jeremiah 1.5, Before I formed thee in the belly, I knew thee. Before thou camest forth out of the womb, I sanctified thee. And I ordained thee a prophet unto the nations. You see, deep within all of us is a longing, an intense desire for somebody. Please, would somebody really know who I am? And alongside of that need that we all share is an intense fear. In any giving scenario, if they really knew me, would they accept me? Sometimes people in my life will say nice things as they do in your life. And sometimes people will say, say to me, sometimes people will say, Pastor, we love you. And I always think, you don't even know me. If you knew me, you might not. You've heard the old expression, to know me is to love me. For some people, to know them is just not to love them anymore, you know. <laughs> I don't even like you now, actually, to come to think of it. If you knew me. You know, when my wife says, Steve, I love you. It always speaks to my heart because she knows how profoundly weird I am. She knows my bizarre idiosyncrasies. I mean, she knows all that stuff. But she's made a decision. The emotion of it, it comes and goes. But, but she's made a decision. I have decided to love Steve. God has decided to love us. 
We say people need to come to know the Lord. They need to accept the Lord. And God says, let me, let, me, let me square this all away for you. I already know you and I've already determined to accept you. I just want you to know where I stand right up front. It matters not who you are, red, yellow, black, brown, white, where you're from, what you've been through. I know you and I accept you. I just want you to know where I stand in all of this. I love it. Peter comes to the Lord and the Lord squares the whole thing away. Think of it. Let me tell you something about God. God knows all my sins. Okay? He knows every, every bad thing I've ever done in all of my life. It gets worse. He knows every bad thing I've yet to do. But he's predetermined to love me and accept me. To all of us today, he says, I know where you are and I know where you came from. And to people who have yet to meet Christ, he says, I know who they are too. And I know where they've come from and I know what they need. Now, as we look to this text, Jesus said this, Thou art Simon, the son of Jonah, Thou shalt be called Cephas. Now, I'd love to get into the, the beauty in that expression. We'll save that for another study. But I want you to see that Jesus said, Thou art. Thou shalt be. Do you see that in those words? Jesus said, let me tell you who I know you to be. But you will be. Jesus says, you know, I, I, I know you and I've accepted you. And as you come to me, I want you to know that, that, that I take you as I find you. But I've got something better in store for you. You are. But you will be. I love the words in John chapter 1 and verse 12 where the Bible says, But as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. And the words I love in that verse that you need to understand and underscore or circle, the Bible says that God did all of this so that we could become. Power to become. There is no relationship like a relationship with God. It is based on unconditional love and unconditional acceptance. Now I wonder today, do you know him? And I also wonder today, do those around you know him? I found an article some time ago of a, of a wedding that took place in November in Australia. The story was told of after the wedding, they had the wedding party standing on a seawall and they were taking pictures and everyone was having a great time and a lady who was not connected to the wedding in any way fell off the wall into the water she could not swim began to drown the best man there with the wedding party had had a firefighter type of background and he jumped in and began to pull this lady to safety the the bride in her her bride's dress she was a nurse and she ran around the wall by this time and she's wading in the water to help with this rescue, beginning CPR, finally the lifeguards come and, and they take over. But as I thought about that story, I thought, you know, I think sometimes as the church, we, we get all dressed up, so to speak, and we get so wrapped up in what we're doing. 
that there could be such a profound need as someone needing to know Christ and we wouldn't want to get our clothes dirty or we wouldn't want to get our dress wet. But you know, the call to people of faith is don't let that be a dead end in your life. Share it. Don't be just on the take spiritually where you're trying to store up every good thing. It doesn't have a long shelf life. When God gives a blessing to you, He wants us to pass a blessing on to others. And that's, that's what Friend Day is all about. It's a rallying cry. It's an occasion for us as a church family to say, you know something? We believe Jesus Christ is important enough and valuable enough for us to allow our lives to be altered that much so that we can find someone and bring someone to Jesus. Now, I want you to take your bulletins today. Would you grab your bulletin? Inside your bulletin, you're going to find a little card. I want you to take it out if you would. It's a card that looks like this. It says Friend Day. If you have that little card, hold it up. Good, most of you? All right. Before we come to the time in our service, we call an invitation. We're going to have an invitation. This card says, I will pray for and invite. And then it says, my friend requests, and there are spots there. And it says, first name only. And I want us today to intentionally, you see, what, what I don't schedule, I don't do. Maybe you're that way. I want us today to clear out some time. We're scheduling an appointment right now to say, Jesus, I think you're important enough for me this week to speak to. Now, some of you might put one name. Some will put zero names, and that's fine. But some of you could fill the whole front and the back up and borrow a scratch sheet of paper. and First names. You say, what's the purpose of this? Well, your name's not on here anywhere. Nobody's keeping score. But these are people that we're saying we will pray for and invite. This Friday, we're going to have a 24-hour prayer vigil into Saturday. And we're going to take all these names before the Lord in prayer for 24 straight hours. When we work, God, uh, we work, but when we pray, God works. And I think sometimes we get rushing so fast that unlike Andrew, we, we don't see the needs around us. And I want us to take some time today. We're going to hear a song, and I want you to listen to the message of this song. As you in a heart of worship before the Lord, say, Lord.